0: I guess I should tell the recording that we're gonna adjust some things tonight. Um, There's just a few of us here because of the wind, and we're going to have more of an intimate setting. Uh, I don't know that that's the right word, but that's what we're doing. Um, Cody has brought, uh, Cody Adams has brought a a wonderful word for us. She's done a lot of research, and um, she's gonna teach us. Actually, she's gonna teach us quite a bit be honest and um, then we've got a couple other things after that but I'll just open in prayer God I just want to say thank you for the ladies that are here and getting them here safely in the wind and the mess and um, protect them on their way home of course too but I just want to thank you for each and every one of them that treasures your heart enough to be here and to come and join us And I want you to uh, sit with each woman here as Cody speaks so then, when she's done, they'll be open and available to pray with each other. And I just want this time to bless their hearts and so they can bless each other in Jesus' name. Amen. And so at that, Cody, you can teach us and we'll go from there. Okay,
1: so they asked me to do Martha and Mary and basically said that I was Mary, which I don't (laughs) typically think of myself as, um, but the more I dug into it, I really do think that maybe I have learned these skills and learned from them, but I think both these women have so much to teach us, and we get to see them three times in the Bible, which is really a cool thing, because very few times do we get to see people evolve, change, grow, and learn. As they interact with Jesus, Um, we got to see it with the disciples, but other than them, we we usually see people once and then we kind of move off their stories. And these these two, we get to see three times, which is, it's cool to watch them grow and learn. Um, The first thing I want to do is just kind of throw out some of the ways I study the Bible, because I think that's where we can really start to develop more of that Mary heart in sitting with Jesus and being there and getting in his word and actually paying attention to what's the whole story rather than just a quick verse. So I have just three like definitions really quick so that you guys know what I mean by them, if you don't know these already. But there's biblical hermeneutics. Does anybody know what that is? Other than you? (laughs) So biblical hermeneutics is how we interpret the Bible. So it's not just... The reading of it but the actual interpretation of what the things mean and then biblical harmonization is the harmonizing of the gospels specifically but the whole bible making it be one big story these aren't a verse here and a chapter here and these things come in and out we we have to look at it as a whole picture to bring it all together and see what we're learning as the thread works its way through and then Biblical apologetics, which apologetics is my thing, Um, (laughs) y'all. If you don't do apologetics yet, I encourage every one of you to, especially if you're a mom, I think apologetics is probably the most important thing we can do as Christian mothers because it's defending our faith in knowledge with science archeology archeology theology, everything working together and defending our faith as smart people. We're not just saying because the Bible says so. That's why. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Bible is our ultimate authority and it is true and it is right. But through apologetics, we can, we can prove it's right and we can debunk the new age things that say they're made up. Um, You know, it's, I mean, if you ever get dug into it, it's so fun. Like, there is not one thing in the Bible they've ever been able to be like, yeah, that never happened. Every archaeological dig they've gone on, they've found these cities, they've found the walls, they've got evidence that every one of these things happened. So it's really cool. And so I love apologetics. So that's how I start looking at my Bible knowledge. Um, like I said, we get to see Martha and Mary four times or three times in scripture and they are actually in all four gospels. When we look at that, we look at the ways they are in them and what they're doing in each gospel. And this is where the harmonization comes in. So the gospels are all true and they're all one big story. People will kind of sometimes will pick them apart and be like, well, this story is only in this one gospel. So maybe it's not as true. Or maybe there's a reason why somebody else didn't put it in. And when the Gospels all have a specific reason they were written. And they were written by very different people. Like the, they had a different knowledge base. They had a different upbringing. They had all these different things. So when they wrote their account of Jesus, it wasn't specifically like this happened and then this happened and then this happened. It was this happened and I want to tell you about it because it's this really cool thing like I can say about apologetics. I think it's really neat for us to learn that because we're Christian mothers and it's a good thing for us to have for our children. But when we look at some of the gospels, they were writing it for the, you know, either the Hebrews or the Israelites, then they might've been writing it for the Romans or for like Luke, a specific person who commissioned him to write it. So there's reasons why they're, different things in each gospel. They were also there. Some of them were wrote to show the divinity of Christ. Some were wrote to show his humanity. Um, and so there's, that's why the different stories are recorded because there's no way they could have recorded everything and they were recording what really spoke to them for what they were trying to teach. So just because they're not in every, every story is not in every gospel doesn't mean it's less true. Um. I think the thing with Martha and Mary is we are here to learn from them when to work and when to worship. So we're supposed to do both. We're supposed to work and we're supposed to worship. And God wants us to do both those things, but it's a matter of when is the best time to do it that matters. So my word is abide. I want to abide in scripture. I want to sit and think about it in Years past, the Bible might have been the only book a lot of households had. And it was darn sure like one of the only books that most people could have access to meditate on, fluently read, do these things. So people spent a lot more time in each of these stories. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to read my Bible for 10 minutes and then I'm going to watch three hours of television. Mm -hmm. It was I'm going to read the Bible and that's what I'm going to think about all night because I have nothing else to do and it's dark outside and so here we are at the campfire reading our Bible. With that, we also need to know that our Bible was written for us, but not to us. The Bible is for us. Every word in it we can use to learn and grow and get stronger and better, but it wasn't written to us. We're reading a letter to somebody else. So this, there's inside jokes. There's Cultural context, there's the things that we don't see on the surface unless we dig in and find out what that is. We need to find out the who, what, where, why, when of what was happening around the story so that we can actually get the full story. So, Martha and Mary, to start off, here we go. History, when, it was happening in 30 A.D., so the first time we meet Martha and Mary is about 30 AD. So Jesus has been ministering for about two years, doing his thing, going around, seeing everybody. Um, the Romans are ruling the Jewish people. Tiberius is the emperor. And it's, it's rough. It's not a fun time for any of these people. They're struggling in a lot of ways. The where is Bethany. So we find out that they live in this little town of Bethany. Bethany is a little village that is off the Mount of Olives, just down below Jerusalem, so outside the city walls. So if you were sitting in Bethany, you'd be sitting there at the bottom of the Mount of Olives, and you'd look up, and you'd see this huge wall, and then up on top of it, you'd see the temple. But it's a little village. Um, they thought Jerusalem, about 40,000 people at the time, and Bethany was probably right at like 2,000. So pretty small town. They find out in like the Dead Sea Scrolls when we went and looked at those that Bethany is actually known as a leper colony, which actually makes sense because when, one of the times we meet them, they are at Simon the Leper's house eating. Um, and it also indicates kind of maybe what's going on in these people's lives, like maybe why Lazarus died. We don't know for sure, but we, this, is, this is a leper colony. So this is not an affluent, rich place. They're outside the walls, kind of ostracized in this little Bethany. The other cool thing about Bethany is it is still there. Um, It is not called Bethany anymore. It is called some Arabic name that I will not try to pronounce. (laughs) But what it means is the place of Lazarus. Um, So it has continuously been inhabited, and there has been an area that they have maintained and kept up throughout all the years that is the tomb of Lazarus. Um, and it is referred to even now in an area that is not predominantly Christian as the place of Lazarus. Which I feel like rings true to the stories and brings some weight to them. So who we have is Martha Mary um in the Martha and Mary in these. So Martha is the eldest sibling. Um it's she is likely a widow. We can't for sure know, but when we read the first account, it says that she invites them to her house. If this had been her parents' house or her husband's house, it would have said that. Um, So because she invites them to her house, it's likely that she was a widow that was left the home. We know that both Mary and Lazarus are living with her, which means that their parents are gone and Lazarus is too sick to live on his own and have a job and you know, provide for himself and that Mary's living with her indicates that she's not married and is probably not doing that well either. So these are probably very poor people that would have been giving out of a lot of lack. The fact that she opened her home to them is, you know, like the poor widow giving, more than she has, it's it's she has a heart to serve, which is a beautiful thing. And Mary is not married, probably not going to get married. In the Jewish culture, most women are married by the time they're 12 or 13. Um, they were not always like moved in and living with their husbands, but they were married. They did a marriage ceremony and stayed with their parents until they were a little bit older. But because she's not married... She's living with her sister. And she probably has a very poor chance of ever getting anywhere in this life. So what was happening leading up to this? If we go like one chapter back from the first time we meet Martha and Mary, Jesus fed the 5,000. So he fed the 5,000, huge cool miracle, gets to do these things. Goes up on the mountain, has the transfiguration, beautiful thing. All this happens, comes down. It's recorded that he then meets with a huge crowd. We don't know how big, but a huge crowd. He picks out 72 disciples from that crowd, sends them out to prepare his way as he's going to finish his ministry, getting ready to lead up to the Passion of the Christ. So he sends out the 72, the 72 come back to him. Right before we meet Martha and Mary, the 72 have come back. They have said, we did beautiful things in your name. We drove out demons. We healed sick. People are ready for your message. And then we have our first meeting of Martha and Mary.
2: Okay. Uh, Luke ten thirty-eight. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said,
1: And said, "Please come to my home." She invited him there, which is awesome, and obviously he uh, he approved of that and thought that was a good thing. So when we hear that he rebuked martha later he 's not rebuking her heart to serve. Mary sat at his feet, completely countercultural, which we are called to be countercultural, so it 's a good example of what Mary did here. A woman would not have sat at a man's feet with the men hanging out, chilling in the living room, but that's what she did. She went and sat there. She wanted to just be close to Jesus. So she sat there. She didn't study, she didn't serve, she didn't work, she wasn't doing any spiritual discipline. She wasn't reciting prayer. she wasn't She sat. That's all she did. That's all it says she did here. She sat at his feet. We all do our works in Jesus' name, but we need to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of Matthew seven twenty-one to 23. Not all who call on me, Lord, will enter. Many will say, we did works in your name, but I will tell them, I never knew you. You never knew me away with you. This is where we get into the rebuking of Martha. So it wasn't that she served, that he was rebuking. It was that she was starting to serve out of her own power. And that's what we need to remember. Salvation and works for Jesus are not about what we do, but what Jesus does for us and through us for others. In Martha's haste to serve Jesus, she missed her opportunity to know Jesus. So she was in such a hurry to do for him and be and all the great things that she missed the chance to know him in her hurry to serve at the church and host the banquet and do the things. She missed the chance to sit down and know him and have a relationship with him. She also missed the chance for him to be glorified or for someone else to be glorified. He never asked her to serve. No one did. She hurried to go serve on her own jesus just came to her house because she asked him there and then she got distracted and worried trying to make preparations he came because she asked and he had she had the opportunity to sit with him but she was in such a hurry to serve she missed the chance to know him It's so important for us to respond with gladness at the opportunity to serve, but we really need to know that God called us to that service. We need to take that time, take that step back. Like, It's so good to say yes, but make sure you say yes out of the power of God and out of the calling that he's put on your heart, not out of your own eagerness to please. Because God will always provide us with the strength and the provisions and the things we need to meet the service that he's called us to do but the same is not true if we are trying to serve out of our own strength and that's when we have that servant burnout and that, that pain and that problems that we run into the other thing I want to point out it's like I said there were 72 disciples that went out not just his 12 the 72 came so there was at least 72, plus his 12, plus him. There's like 86 people, or I don't know. I mean, there's like a lot of people with him. And it could have had a lot more than that. Because, again, they generally only counted men, not men, women, children. And we know that Jesus traveled with some women around, too. So what Martha was trying to do was not possible. She wasn't going to do it. Even if Mary had jumped up and helped her and been busting her butt in the kitchen trying to make the sandwiches and soup, they weren't going to feed all these people. They were a poor family serving out of lack and on short notice. And it wasn't going to happen. It, was, it wasn't like the only reason Martha didn't get this done is because Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet. This was an insurmountable task that she took upon herself and there was no way to do it. So what does Martha do then? Lord, don't you care? Who said that? Who's had that moment when you're like, I am trying so hard and I'm doing all these things for you and you don't even see me and you don't care and nobody else sees me and nobody else cares. And it's that feeling of loneliness, feeling left out. We have been just abandoned. That's what she's feeling here. She's not. I mean, she's mad, but she's not, she's, she feels hurt. She feels alone and she feels like Jesus is sitting there right there and she knows he can fix it. But what she wants him to do is get her sister up to help her. But what he tells her is no, 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 just calm down. In Exodus 18, 17 to 18, it says, what you are doing is not good. You will only wear yourselves out the work is too heavy for you you cannot handle it alone we're told that a lot of the work we try to do is too much we must stay in the in the calling of god martha became distracted and this is the the deadly deeds of discontentment which takes us away from god takes us away from the love of god and what we can do first we're distracted So she was distracted by all the things she had to do. She was trying to make the food and do the things and serve and make sure everything was clean and the house looked nice and all the stuff. Then she got discouraged. So she was distracted because she took her eyes off what really mattered, which bred discouragement. So when she was discouraged, she's like, what's happening? Like, I can't do this. I can't keep up. There's no way this is going to work. That leads to doubt. So when you go from distracted to discouraged to doubt, then you say, God, don't you see me? Don't you care? Are you even good? Do you, do you even care that I'm here? And that's when we really fall away from God. And she did. She, she went from this, oh my gosh, Jesus is here. I want him to come to my house to, Lord, don't you care? Don't you even see me? And she did it that fast. And we can do it too. It happens. So it's, remember, it's not about doing enough. It's about Jesus. The anxiety of what we think we need to do gets in the way of what the Holy Spirit calls us to do. And let the Holy Spirit lead you. What Martha had to do was too much. What she was called to do was only one thing. There's many things, but only one thing is needed. All she needed to do was look to Jesus. And what if she had? What if she had looked to Jesus? What if she had sat at his feet with Mary? I mean, we would have lost this cool learning point for us. But we could have seen him glorified in another way. He could have fed them. He could have created another miracle. He can do whatever he needs to do. So we need to remember that we don't do what we think God needs, but do what God desires. Cause we don't know what God needs we can only know what he desires and what he desires is love and relationship with us so Jesus rebukes her and we don't get to know what she says because it just ends it just says Martha Martha this will not be taken from her we don't get to see her say um, yeah no that's not cool like make her help me and we don't get to see her say you're so right I will do better We don't get to see that yet, but we do get to meet them later and we get to piece together what happens. So now we jump forward to the next time we meet Martha and Mary. And this is, I'm going to go just a little bit back from it. So this is when they, Lazarus has passed away. But what has happened just a little bit before this is Martha and Mary sent out a messenger to Jesus because he was away teaching elsewhere. And the messenger gets to Jesus and says, Lord, Lord, the one that you love is dying. Come quickly. Jesus tells him, do not fear. This illness will not, will not end in death. The messenger goes back and Jesus keeps doing Jesus things. As he jolly well pleases for a while. And he doesn't come. And then Lazarus dies.
2: But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by the time there is a bad odor, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here and they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off
1: the grave clothes and let him go. So something that really stood out for me for this is where they would have been leading up to this. They sent that messenger out. That messenger came back and said, this illness will not end in death. And it did. Their brother's dead. The man that they believed and knew to be the Messiah, their hope. Everything they ever wanted promised them that this would not end in death. And it did. That would have hurt. That would have been crushing. Because where where's your hope then? Like, do you start to doubt Jesus? Do you start to doubt all your beliefs? Do you, like, how do you cope with that? Me, I think i had been like Mary in the house curled up in a ball crying and not coming out. I mean, I would have been. This is that would have been devastating to me. And it would have been very hard to hold on to that faith. We get to see what Martha learned from her rebuke earlier because she ran out to meet him. Even though, even though her brother was not alive, even though this looked dark And even though her hope and her faith had been shaken to the core, she ran out to meet him. Martha's servant heart called her to her master. So she ran out there. She runs out there and she says, I know that if you had been here, he would not have died. She knew who Jesus was. She knew he was the Messiah. She knew that he had immense power, that he could have healed her brother. She knew The next thing he says that, you know, she says, I know he will come back at the resurrection at the end of the days. So she knows what Jesus is going to do in the future. So she knew who he was. She knew what he could do and she knew what he was going to do in the future. But what she missed is what he could do right now. And Jesus takes this chance to give, I mean, the good news. Like the thing we spread through the world today he is the resurrection and the life and all those that believe in him will never die. That that's the good news and he gives it to Martha because she had faith in the middle of this storm in the middle of this fearful hopeless situation. But then he cares enough to call Mary out of her fear and out of her pain. He doesn't just go, you know, well, She didn't come out and meet me, so I guess she don't believe anymore, so I guess she out. No, he got in the pit with her. He called her out. He said, come out here. Go get her. Bring her to me. And she comes out, and as soon as she heard that he called, she went quickly. I like that she went quickly. She heard his call, and she came to him. And she does the same thing. Lord, if you'd just been here, I know my brother wouldn't have died. Same thing. She fell at his feet. She worshipped him. She knew who he was. She knew the power he had. She knew the, what he would do in the future. But she doesn't see the power that he has for her today. Both of them missed that. They missed the fact that I know Jesus is strong and I know he's there. And I know he's doing beautiful, amazing things in so many people's lives. But will he do it for me? Does he care about me? Does he have power over my struggle? And he does. And he shows it to him. But he knew what was going to happen here. He knew that this was not going to end in death. And he still took the time to weep with them. Because he loved them. And he felt for them. And he wanted them to know that he knew this was causing pain. But that the glory of God needed to be seen. So, again backstory on this Jewish culture three days before the spirit left the body. It hovered around closely for three days and then it would leave and go away. So the fact that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days is a big deal. He was he was not just dead. He was good and cold and dead. Only he was probably really hot and stinky because it's the desert. There was probably <laughs> nastiness. In the King James Version, Martha doesn't pragmatically say, oh, there's a strong order. She says, Lord, don't let it be so. He stinketh. (laughs) Good old practical Martha. She's like, "Uh, I know we should not move that rock because that's going to be gross, (laughs) y'all. Probably right. So he says to her, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And they believed because he wanted them to believe. He wanted them to know that he could have power in their life today. Not just then, not for other people, not in the future and at the resurrection at the end of days, but today he could have that power. So from this one, we learn that both these women still truly love Jesus. They, in spite of a, massive storm a painful thing and having their faith rocked to the core went to him came back to him and he rewarded it with love with weeping with them caring for them healing them and raising Lazarus from the dead now our last meeting of these women
2: okay Luke 7:36 When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she had poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests begin to say amongst themselves, who is this? Who else forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace.
1: So this is the next time we meet them. And this is where that harmonization comes in. So this particular um scenario or is actually in all four gospels so a little bit different in each gospel you get a little bit more knowledge from each one and this we learn simon is a leper in one and then he's a pharisee in another so he was probably living there because he was in the leper colony but he was a pharisee and he wanted to question jesus and do those things um We know it's Mary, and we learn here that she has a bad reputation. She's lived a sinful life. Probably, again, out of lack, she was probably driven to prostitution in her life. It may have been that she just had a bad reputation because she was from a poor family and unmarried, because that is also just horribly disgraceful in that time. But it's implied that she was a prostitute. He, and this is where we finally get to see Mary serve. She went from worship to service here. And Martha in one of, in two of the other gospels, it says Martha was serving at this banquet. So Martha's there, she's serving. She's still got her service heart. She's doing what she's called to do this time rather than what she thinks she needs to do. Mary's sitting on the outside, and she bursts through, and she hurries to Jesus. She has this overwhelming urge to serve him. And what she is doing in this anointing is, it's so beautiful, but it's also such a messy thing. So she bursts in. She breaks an alabaster jar of nard. So nard was the most expensive perfume they had. It was worth about three hundred denarii, which would be three hundred days of work. So it's like thirty thousand dollar jar of perfume. And this is a woman giving out of lack. She doesn't have much. She breaks the bottle. She doesn't just take a few drops. She breaks the bottle and puts it all on Jesus. She pours it on him, lets it flow down. It flows down all the way over him, covers his feet, is dripping from his feet, and she gets on her hands and knees and sits on the floor at his feet, lets her hair down, weeps, and wipes his feet with her hair and tears. It's messy. But the cultural significance of what's happening here is so big. First off, Even a Hebrew slave could not be ordered to wash somebody's feet. This is why it's such a big deal when Jesus washes the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. Washing someone's feet was the lowest, most degrading service you could perform in that time. Nothing could be worse to do for you. Nothing could be harder to do. So by her getting on her hands and knees and washing his feet, she was submitting herself completely to him by taking down her hair. Taking down your hair in those days would be the same as getting naked. She got naked in front of him and did the lowliest, most degrading service that could be performed because he was her Messiah. He was her King and he is who she would submit her whole life to and give everything she had to be part of. She did it all for him. She gave it all. She was there for him. She is the only person in the entire Bible that figured out that Jesus was going to die. He told his disciples, point blank, multiple times, that the Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be risen up and die for your sins. He told them this. He gave them the exact words and they didn't believe it and they didn't see it because they had all these other things going on. They were doing their spiritual disciplines or planning their other plans or doing these other things. They all missed what he was going to do. But she sat at his feet, was quiet, listened to him and actually heard what Jesus had to teach her. She actually saw it and she anointed him before he died. She was the only one that had it figured out. She's the only one that saw it and she did a beautiful thing for him. The next verses down is the Pharisee Sion, you know, the saying, if he only knew who this was, he wouldn't let her touch him. Obviously, Jesus always would do these things. What's really ironic to me is this man's a leper. Mm -hmm. He's eating at his house. Like he was so proud of himself that even as a leper, he missed that he had been forgiven and made clean enough to be included in a dinner with Jesus. But he couldn't see that somebody else could be cared for and loved, which is a sad thing for that man. Then Judas Iscariot says, why the waste? Why the waste? This this is a lot of money and we could have done things with this. And that's where we get to see that different heart. We see Mary who's had this heart for Jesus and this heart to do what he wanted and what was coming. And then we saw where that blinder can come on because of a sin like love of money or power that Judas had. And this is the moment when Judas decided to betray Jesus. So Mary submitted to him fully, called him Lord and King and laid sat at his feet. And Judas left him. Because of the same act of worship. So it's important to think about how we worship and what we're worshiping and what that really means for us and that we are doing it to serve God. So these two both have so much good about them. We're all Martha's and we're all Mary's and we all have times when it's in and out. What we really learn the most is that Martha was hospitable. She had this beautiful heart to serve. She went to God with her complaints. She didn't go find somebody else to complain about her sister. She went to Jesus and said, hey, like what's wrong here? Which is a good thing. Then she took the rebuke he gave her, she changed, her faith grew, and she became a beautiful servant for God. Mary's good is, she chose worship over work, she waited on Jesus to call her, gave willingly all she had, believed and accepted his grace and forgiveness, and fully submitted to his will for her life.
0: That's it. That's what I've learned from these two. (laughs) Did you learn something from that? I told you you were going to learn something tonight. Thank you, Cody. Um, Martha and Mary uh, live out in our real lives, right? Like Cody said, we all have a little bit of these, depending on on the day. And um, we asked Lauren to come speak a little bit about her testimony of that. I've watched I personally have watched Lauren be both a number of times. And uh it's it's always um I always learn something from her when she does both. So Lauren? Okay. Well I feel like I know a
2: lot of you so um I'm not gonna give massive details because I feel like a lot of you know it but short story is I was that girl who like I don't know if you ever saw the movie or read the book I don't know how she does it like who was written about me Um, because I was the mom who had a full time career was a lobbyist in DC was married sat as a PTO officer, sat on the school board, ran the youth athletics, coached volleyball, coached soccer, um, sat on the fair board, was on the livestock. I mean, like literally if you named it, I did it. I said, yes, I didn't sleep. I never stopped. Um, yeah, yeah, it was overwhelming. Um, and in the moment I really thought I was doing it, um, made me happy. I thought it was going to give me something. Um, I had, as a young um, professional, this goal to be somebody. And I thought doing all these things were going to connect me to the right people and it was going to get me to the right places. And I learned very quickly um, that didn't because I was doing it all out of very selfish ambition. Um, And I couldn't figure out why... I knew everybody I know. Like I know so many people, but none of them are my friends. And so I was so lonely, so incredibly lonely. And my mom would always say to me, how are you lonely, Lauren? Like how on earth are you lonely? You know, so many people. And I was like, no, I know them. like, I know Shelby, but like, she's not my friend. Well Shelby is. But you know what I mean? Like, I, I you. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like I, I, I know a million people, but I didn't. Yet none of them were my friends and none of them were fulfilling, um, the need. And it was because I was seeking them in such a lack of God. And so, um, several years ago, I actually quit my job, um, out of a pure obedient moment. Um, I love to tell this part of it cause I think it's funny. And as moms, most people will get this. Um, I literally pulled out of the school parking lot and heard, let it go from frozen <laughs> and I was like, I mean, we heard the song a lot cause I had two little girls at the time who watched frozen every moment of every day, but, um, I knew it meant something more and I don't often audibly hear God's voice, but, um, I got a little bit further down the road on the way to work and I audibly heard him say, let go of what defines you. And I was like, <laughs> you're silly. Um, and so I quit PTO <laughs> because it was easy. And I heard audibly again, that's not it and you know it. Um, And so I actually quit quite a few of the little things that I thought, oh, I'm just gonna take this one little thing off my plate. And um, it wasn't it. What it was was my job. Um, it was that I wanted very much, um, my goal was to be a congresswoman. Um, I was very much on that path. I had the people in my life. I had been placed um, in the Republican Party to follow in somebody's footsteps. Um, and I very much wanted that. And I thought, I can't quit my job because if I quit my job, <laughs> like, how, who, who's going to elect a stay at home mom? So I did it. Um, Not in that moment. Like, I don't want to say I literally, like, walked in and told my boss, like, I quit. Because that's not how it happened. I um, very much had to kind of play itself out. But I ended up leaving the workforce. um, And it scared me. It scared my husband. Because on paper, uh, we could not pay our bills. And I will say, I have never once in my 35 years been uh, late on a pavement. Because God is... Crazy when that happens, you know he actually does provide, so in that right, I suddenly had all this time in the world, but no real desire to do any of this stuff anymore, because God had told me like this was not this isn 't what you 're supposed to do, so I left quite a few of the positions that I had been doing um not all of them. I do still coach volleyball and I do still sit on the fair board and school board and stuff like that. But what I did is I spent a lot of time sitting with God, asking him what now, like you've you've taken me out of this, right. And seemingly taken away my goal and where am I going? So now you got to tell me where I'm going because otherwise I'm going to be really mad, right? Like I'm going to start questioning my relationship with you. So I started to dig in. I started to literally, I would get up at five o'clock every morning and I would sit sometimes in the dark um, and just force myself to press into him and ask him, where am I going? Where are you sending me? What am I supposed to do? And what I learned was it's, I was serving to serve myself, right? I was picking these things that I thought, oh, I'm going to serve here because it's going to connect me to Kayleen and that's going to get me something. It wasn't. God is going to give me this opportunity. I'm going to be here and maybe I'm going to learn something from Kayleen or maybe Kayleen's going to learn something from me. Right. It was so selfish. Um, And so I started to let go. I literally started to resign from positions like left and right, which was hard for me. But every time I would do it, it opened up a door that was something else. And so in doing it, it opened up um, the door to serve on the arise team. Uh, it opened up the door to, um, come on staff here at the church. And now it opened up the door that I own my own business and was able to stay home with my children. Um, while not just being a stay at home mom, I provide for my family while staying at home. And so, um, listening led me there though. I really had to force myself to listen to where God wanted me. And in that, God will tell you to say no. And that's really hard. It's really hard when you want to be there, right? Because I love people and I love to be seen and I love to talk. And so any opportunity that it's like, ooh, uh, you want me to serve here? Absolutely, because that means I get to see all these people, I get to talk to all these people, I get to do this. But really, if that's not where I'm supposed to be, I have to say no. And that's hard, but when you do it, what I've learned is you have to say no and you have to set your boundaries. And it's okay to set boundaries. Not everybody's going to like your boundaries. But as long as it's a boundary that God has told you to set and it is prioritizing your time with the Lord and making sure that you are truly being um, faithful to what he is putting in front of you, um, that that boundary and that no is worth it every time. Um, not everybody's going to like it. Not everybody's going to get it. But um, at the end of the day, I think the people that God puts in your life for the reasons that are supposed to be there, those people, even if they're the ones that get mad at you, eventually see it and it comes back around. Um, that that fleeting moment is just that, right? It's They might be upset with you because you say, no, I'm not going to go to the Rockies game with you today that doesn't stick around, right? That, that disappointment doesn't, doesn't always last. Um, so that's kind of my stuff. So there's a f- couple things that when Cody and I started to press into all of this, I had, I mean, I've read this story a million times where like, I feel like I can tell you what the story was, but I hadn't really pressed into it. Um, I actually sat this morning and asked God, like, what is the one thing that you don't what, what do I, what can I not, not say tonight? And uh, there's a couple things. I feel like it doesn't matter if you're a Mary or a Martha or at what point you're a Mary or a Martha, it doesn't make you bad, it makes you human. Um, because there's times I find myself very Marthy, <laughs> very, very quickly and have to remind myself, um, my husband actually told me right before Christmas, you're not being a very nice person. And it's because I was being a Martha. I very much was trying to handle it all, right? The holidays were stressful. Church was stressful. Um, my business is very busy Busy at Christmas. And, and uh, he probably could have said it nicer, but I won't judge him for that. Um, it made me human, though, right? I had to step back, and I couldn't shame myself for doing it. I really just had to reprioritize. Um, so whether you're Mary or Martha, into one extreme or the other, it doesn't make you bad. It makes you human. Um, Both of those women loved Jesus in very passionate ways. And they both felt very safe with him. And so I encourage you to figure out how to feel safe with him in both sides of it. Whether you're truly in full serving mode and kind of going a little crazy with Martha. Or if you're totally like laid back kicking it, make sure you feel safe with Jesus. Um, And then the last thing is that God will always meet you where you are, but he is never going to leave you there. So let him take you.
0: I love you. (laughs) Just so you know. Um, I think what we're going to do is... um, I have watched a lot of people nod at certain things. And so I'm going to have Lauren pray us out of here. But I would honestly like it if you have some time. And if there was something Cody said or Lauren said that really hit you, I think it's a great opportunity to... Number one, be vulnerable. Number two, be brave. Number two, go searching. Number three, I can't count, but (laughs) go searching for Jesus and find him. And I think there's a powerful group of women here. So I would like to see maybe partner up, maybe whatever that looks like for you. But I know that there's always things we need prayed for. And if you would rather come to me or Lauren or Shelby's always willing to pray for people, if you would rather do it that way, however, that's fine. But I would like to take some time to um, just pray with each other, not necessarily as a group, because I know I don't necessarily like to ask a group for whatever it is that's bothering me that I just heard. But if you could find somebody and either pray for them, maybe God gave you a word for somebody while you're sitting here. Or maybe you need a word from somebody. So, Lauren, will you pray us out of here? Yeah.
2: Father God, I praise you for being a God that's present in our lives. I praise you for being available um, to us tonight. Uh, thank you for bringing these women here tonight. Even though the weather is not uh, favorable, I ask that you cover them in safety as they drive home tonight. But I also ask that you you cover their hearts and touch their hearts as as they just lead lives. Um, We live in a crazy world and we ask that you protect us as we push through and uh, stand up for your morals and your ideas in such a tough, uh, tough world. I ask that you give them the courage and the strength to find balance in their life. And as they uh, reach out to those around them and influence those around them, I ask that you show them, where you want them to go, and what steps that you ultimately have for them to lead the most abundant life. Um, I praise you for such abundant love at this church and in this community, and I just thank you for for this women's group and for all that these ladies put into nights like tonight. Um, in your name, Amen.